There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. I'm going to share with you one of the greatest mysteries of the entire New Testament, and it involves what happened between the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've studied this for over 50 years, but the last few weeks I've been really focused on digging into it again, and the mystery has become even more mysterious. But hopefully you and I will be able to go through the veil of the mystery and find the brilliant light of truth on the other side. Let's take this journey together. Now, the Bible is very clear that Jesus was active during that time, and the very fact that he was involved in certain activities demolishes the Jehovah Witness doctrine of soul sleep, which is the idea when someone dies, that soul is asleep until the resurrection. But it certainly wasn't so with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul talked about this particular time in Jesus' journey, his redemptive journey, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. I'd like to read that to you. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So Paul very clearly says, once Jesus died on the cross, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Why? What was there? We're going to find out in a little while. But he was actually quoting from Psalm 68, verse 18, which is a messianic prophetic verse, where the psalmist said, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Thank God the message of salvation is not only for good people, but for rebellious people too who will repent. And God showers gifts on us, the gift of salvation, the gift of grace, the gift of eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He received gifts to pour out on those in the human race that would call on his name. But not only did he ascend back to the throne room of the Almighty, He descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Now, that was a reference to something the Jews call Sheol. The lower parts of the earth is also in the Greek called Hades. And it's incorrectly translated hell in the King James Version quite often. Why do I say incorrectly? Because it was not just a place for the torment of the wicked. 
And again, we'll get to that a little later on. But first, I want to go to Peter's Pentecost sermon. Now, if you're unfamiliar with it, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in the upper room like a rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire appeared over all the disciples. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and began to preach to all these people that were gathered from different nations in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And they preached the gospel to them, the good news of what Jesus had accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is what Peter said, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, and this is the important part, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I should not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad, my flesh also will rest in hope. Now listen, for you will not leave my soul in hell, the King James says, but in the Greek, and of course in newer versions of the Bible, it says, you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, meaning that Jesus' body was never corrupted, even though it was in a death state for three days, it was not corrupted at all, and his soul went down into Hades, but it was not left there. Well, what happened there? What happened there? Let's go to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and we're going to discover what is actually in the lower parts of the earth. And I believe that's really just a physical focal point for a spiritual realm. Just like my body is a physical focal point for my soul and my spirit. My soul doesn't dwell 10 feet away from me. They're united together where the physical and the spiritual are one. And in like manner, I don't think that what I'm about to share is actually physically, visibly in the lower parts of the earth, but that is a connecting point, a portal, if you will, into another realm. Let me read to you what I do not think is a parable. I believe it's a real story because Jesus said it as if it was. There was a certain rich man, he said. That sounds like a real happening to me, a real person. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torment. Again, the King James Version says in hell, but the Greek is Hades. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
Therefore he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Now listen to the next line. And besides this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. That's in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 26. That's the story of the rich man and Lazarus that is the primary place in the entire Bible that describes the condition of the afterworld, the netherworld, if you will, prior to the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Both the righteous and the wicked went to the lower parts of the earth. There was a realm of torment for the wicked, a great gulf, and something called Abraham's bosom that possibly was a temporary paradise. And there was no interchange between the two, except apparently there could be somewhat of a conversing between the two sides. Very strange, very peculiar. But when Jesus went down into the lower parts of the earth, how did he go down there? Some people say he went down there as a condemned sinner that his soul was darkened with sin, and that when he got down into the lower parts of the earth, he was dragged by Satan into that torment, and he was tortured by demons for several days until he became the firstborn from the dead. And that was not only a physical resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection where he was the first born again person and he was born again in hell. Does the Bible say that? I'm convinced it does not communicate that. And there's a number of reasons. First of all, Satan does not rule in hell. Satan is not the king of the underworld. I know people have depicted him that way many times in plays, in books, in cartoons even, but he's not the king of hell. Let me tell you where Satan's dwelling place is. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's not called the prince of hell. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it's talking about people who have been born again, people who are saved. And it said, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. In other words, a level of authority and somewhat above the earth realm or the terrestrial realm. Now, why would he be called the prince of the power of the air if his place of residence is in hell? Think about that. And then in Revelation chapter 12, when it talks about how war will break out in heaven, and this is probably futuristic, toward the close of the age when the conflict spiritually will become very intense. 
But war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels, Michael the archangel, fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then in verse 12, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has but a short time. If he resides in hell, then it would have said he comes up from the lower world. He crawls out of the pit. But instead, it said the devil has come down to you. And what about when the 70 disciples went out? 35 teams of two went uh, to all the cities that Jesus was going to minister in. He sent them before him to prepare the way, and they would preach the kingdom of God and pray for the sick, and then Jesus would come, and the great meetings and gatherings would take place. And the 70 returned after they went on this mission, and they said, Lord, even the demons, the devils are subject to us through your name. Listen to how Jesus responded. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now that's talking about 2,000 years ago. If the devil at that time was reigning in the underworld, in hell, he would have said, I saw Satan crawl out of hell. And then he said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by shall, shall by any means harm you. So how can Satan be prince of the power of the air? You look up in the clouds, in the atmosphere, and you don't see some uh, vile, demonic creature jumping from one cloud to the next. Well, again, it's a spiritual realm that is concentric, so to speak, with the atmosphere. There's actually three heavens, the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. I believe the first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth and the cosmos, the physical universe beyond. The third heaven, we know that's been identified in the Bible. It's also called paradise, and it's the dwelling place of God. It's the highest heaven. Now, in between the first heaven and the third heaven is the second heaven, and there's nothing in the Bible that really clearly identifies what the second heaven is. But I tend to believe it's a realm in between the third heaven, which is absolute perfection and beauty, and the first heaven. And it's a realm where angels and demons are in great conflict with each other. And what happens in the second heaven overflows spiritually to affect things on the earth. And that's where Satan and his demons preside. That's where they um, assert their authority over the human race, if they can, from that vantage point. So keep that in your thinking as we proceed. Now, as we try to discover what really happened to Jesus when he went into the underworld, we've got to inspect Isaiah 53. Isaiah gave some of the most graphic prophecies about what Jesus would go through on the cross. It's one of the most amazing books of the Old Testament, or one of the most amazing chapters of one of the most amazing books in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. 
It's the longest prophetic book, 66 chapters. And he starts off saying, who shall believe our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then he went on to say, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, the whiplashes on his back, we are healed. And then in verse 10, it said, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, listen now, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, some people use that scripture, some theologians, some Bible expositors and teachers use that scripture to try and prove that when Jesus went into the lower parts of the earth, he was contaminated with sin, he was in a state of condemnation, and he entered the realm of the wicked as a condemned soul because it said that his soul was made an offering for sin. But he was a triune being just like we are, spirit, soul, and body. And it never said his spirit was made an offering for sin. See, the soul is the part of us that is made up of the mind and the will and the emotions. And I believe that Jesus poured out his soul unto death when he was yet on the cross. That's when Surely he felt the composite anguish of all the human race, all those who have ever suffered depression and fear and self-hatred and all the horrible negative emotions that cloud the hearts of human beings. It all converged on him on the cross. And symbolically, when the soldier rammed the spear up through his side, the negative, the horrible, lower nature emotions of the entire human race penetrated his heart. When he was crowned with thorns, I believe that was a symbolic picture of how his mind was filled with all the confusion and the fear and the doubt and and the intellectual uh, the intellectual searching of the entire human race that's filled with confusion over who we are, why we're here, where we're going. He felt all that mental pressure that's converged on you as an individual that's been in my mind. And he felt the sum total of billions and billions who have lived in this planet. And so if the soul is made up of the mind and the will and the emotions, then he poured out his soul unto death. He felt the death-dealing effects of this sinful world and what it does to people. He experienced our pain. He felt our anguish. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He felt our grief, which is a soulish kind of thing. But I do not believe his spirit was ever made unclean or contaminated by sin. And I do not believe Satan dragged him through the flames and tortured him and demons tormented him. Because, by the way, the Hebrew word that is translated soul there is nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H. 
But when the word spirit appears in the Bible, when it talks about the spirit of a man or the spirit of God, it's ruach. It's a completely different word. So I also tend to believe that he meant what he said when he told the dying thief next to him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say this day you'll witness me perishing like a sinner in hell. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Remember the two thieves hanging on either side of him. One of them ridiculed him and the other repented and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he got that promise. Now, paradise is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Did you know that paradise is only mentioned three times in the Bible? One time it was, uh, it was, of course, what we just mentioned in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, when the promise was given to the thief hanging next to Jesus. The next time was in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, where Paul talked about being caught up into the third heaven in a visionary experience, and he called it paradise. And then in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it talks about those who overcome will be able to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God in the eternal state. And so paradise was the realm of the righteous, the realm of those that are in alignment with the will of God and serving God, loving God. It is a possibility, a possibility. We're not really told for certain this is the case that paradise temporarily was in the lower parts of the earth until the resurrection, until Jesus did what he did when he came out of the tomb. And, and see, it would be synonymous with Abraham's bosom then. I believe when Jesus went down to the lower parts of the earth, he went down not as a suffering sinner, but as a victorious champion. And we're going to find out from Peter's revelations that he's in agreement with that. Now, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 said that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. There, he said it was the body that was saturated with sin. It was Jesus' body that was penetrated with all the evil of the human race. He bore our sins in his own body. He poured out his soul unto death, but he bore our sins in his body. I know sin is spiritual and a body is physical, but still that payment would have been sufficient if that's what God deemed necessary. Now listen to the rest of what Peter said in his first epistle. In chapter 3, verse 18, he said, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, watch that closely. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. 
Peter did not say that the Spirit carried him down into hell to deposit him there to be tormented by Satan and the demons in a sinful state, and that he had to be born again in hell. He said he was quickened by the Spirit, but he did not say that happened in a hellish realm. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, and that was before he went and preached to the spirits in prison. He was made alive by the Spirit, then he went down and preached. Now, personally, I believe that he preached first in Abraham's bosom, where all the righteous of the Old Testament were. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Enoch, all the way back to Adam. I believe Adam was down there because I believe Adam eventually repented. Somebody taught Abel how to offer an acceptable sacrifice to God. And he preached to them that he had finally accomplished the full sacrifice, that the blood of bulls and goats was not not sufficient to deliver any person from sin, but he had given his own blood, his precious blood, as the price that would deliver the lost from this curse of separation from God. And, and the Bible said a nation was born at once, which is a very peculiar prophecy, but I believe all the Israelites that were righteous Israelites in the lower parts of the earth, in Abraham's bosom, that could have very well been a temporary paradise, when they heard that sermon, they received Jesus as their Lord. The Holy Spirit infused their spirits, and they were born again, and Jesus led captivity captive. He carried them from the lower world up to paradise, the third heaven. And he gave gifts to men, as the scripture has prophesied that he would. Now, if all that be true, and I believe it is, because we don't have many scriptures to deal with this, then it's a totally different picture than some people have envisioned. Again, Jesus did not go to the lower parts of the earth as a condemned sinner, but he went down there as a reigning victorious champion who was about to conquer death. He conquered sin first, but he was about to conquer death. And then in 1 Peter 4, verse 6, Peter added another little piece to the puzzle. He said, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Was he talking about just those who were physically dead or those who were in the realm of torment? in the lower parts of the earth. I would not be surprised. We're not given much information at all in scripture about it, but I would not be surprised if Jesus actually preached in the realm of the wicked, because it did say that he preached the gospel to some of those who were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So that would mean that the disobedient that went to the realm of the wicked heard him preach the gospel, the good news. Now, what God did there and why he allowed it to happen, it's the justice of God. God is a just God, and I'm sure he justly dealt with all of those when all of that took place. Now, some people say that when Jesus, or when I say people, some Bible teachers, as well as people who have studied these scriptures deeply, believe that when Jesus went down to hell, he grabbed the keys from the devil 
who had the keys of death and hell, and he took them back and restored them to himself. Is that scriptural? There's no place in the Bible that says that Satan had keys to death and hell. It does say in Hebrews chapter 2.14 that he had the power of death, that he had the power of death prior to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, it's talking about Jesus, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So I don't see any literal scene where there's a wrestling match going on and Jesus grabs a ring of keys. That's all somebody's imagination. But over in the book of Revelation, he did say, listen, in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Now remember Hades, prior to Jesus' coming, was a chamber in the underworld for the righteous called Abraham's bosom, an impassable gulf, and a chamber for the wicked. But Jesus had the keys of Hades and of death. And so he did take away from Satan a greater authority in the realm of death. And now Jesus is Lord of this planet in that particular area. Now, how far that goes, only God knows. Uh, because uh, some people die unexpectedly. Does that mean God determined that that would be the moment of their departure from this world? I'm not going there in this teaching. That's a, a mystery within itself that probably we need to deal with. But I wanted to also mention to you that um, some people say that Jesus went down into the lower parts of the earth in order to preach to the angels that sinned during the days of Noah. And supposedly there's a teaching that the angels had sexual relations with the women and giants were born of them called Nephilim. Now, I did a teaching on the Nephilim and you can go back and listen to it. I do not believe that uh, that's who Jesus went and preached to. In Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then in 2 Peter 2, 4, something very similar, it said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and by the way, the word translated hell there is uh, Tartaro'o, which is Tartarus. It, as some people feel it's a name for the bottomless pit. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, if he cast angels down into hell under chains of darkness, how can they be running rampant in the earth? And how can they even possess people? Because when, when Jesus cast the demons out of legion, the Bible said those demons begged him not to cast them into the abyss. That's probably a reference to the same thing. So there's mysteries about what angels are actually chained in darkness, in Tartarus, in the bottomless pit, what fallen angels are allowed to roam the earth 
demonic powers. They have become demonic and they can only express themselves by inhabiting a human body. And what demons are under the authority of the prince of the power of the air. So these are things we don't really understand fully through scripture, but we do know the day will come when hell will be prepared for the devil and his angels eternally. Thank God for that. Now, one other thing I might bring out is some people bring up Psalm 88 as a proof that Jesus suffered the anguish of hell and that he shared in that part of the curse as well as his physical death on the cross. But we are not told anywhere in Scripture that Psalm 88 is actually a messianic psalm. It has some really heavy lines in it, like you have laid me in the lowest pit in darkness in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You have afflicted me with all your waves. And then I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. It's one of the most negative and sad psalms that there is. And when you read it through, you think it could be descriptive of Jesus in a completely condemned state in the lower world, if that's what it meant. But I do not believe that's what it means. It is a psalm that was written by a man who was distraught spiritually, but there is absolutely no indication in Scripture that that psalm was a messianic psalm describing Jesus in the lower worlds. Once again, when he went down there, he went down as a victorious champion who took back the power of death from the one who had it and who overcame the lower world and its curse. He's got the keys of Hades and death now, and he loosed the captives who responded to his preaching. He preached the gospel to the dead. One day we'll understand the glory of all that and the power of all that and the majesty of what took place as he led them all up to paradise to the third heaven, much more than we do now. But that's the mystery of what happened between the crucifixion and the resurrection. I hope that's been a blessing to you. I hope also that you'll tune into my other podcast, which is called Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It comes every week. Discover your spiritual identity. Find out who you are in Christ by knowing the names and the titles of the children of God. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being a part of this program. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.